Welcome to the Strong Life Coach Podcast, where we showcase stories of inspiring professionals while highlighting the universal principles of success. Today, I'm joined on the podcast by attorney Lisbeth Mateo. Lisbeth, welcome to the show. Thank you so much for having me. I'm really excited to be here. All right. Well, I'm, I'm excited to showcase your story and your passion. Um, you clearly have been, been on quite a journey, and I'm excited about what you're going to be able to speak to, um, to, to our listeners. For our podcast listeners, I want you to know a little bit about Lisbeth's background. So let me tell you a little bit about her. Uh, attorney Lisbeth Mateo has been an immigrant rights organizer for over 10 years and currently runs an immigration and workers' compensation legal practice in Los Angeles, California. Born in a Zapotec community in Oaxaca, Mexico, Lisbeth became one of the first undocumented young people to risk deportation to demand passage of the DREAM Act. When she was arrested in 2010 during a sit-in inside the office of Senator John McCain, in 2013, a few weeks before starting law school, Lisbeth and two other organizers traveled to Mexico and returned with six previously deported youth. All nine successfully returned home to the U.S. after spending 17 days in an Arizona detention center. The first in her family to graduate from college, Lisbeth earned her JD from Santa Clara University School of Law in 2016 and got sworn in as an attorney in June 2017 by then Senate President Pro Tem Kevin De Leon. Despite meeting the requirements for the Deferred Action for Childhood Arrivals, the DACA program, the Obama administration denied Lisbeth's DACA application eight days before Donald Trump's inauguration. As an attorney and owner of the law office of Lisbeth Mateo, Lisbeth has helped many immigrants like herself apply for DACA, work permits, and to become legal permanent residents and citizens. She has also represented immigrants who are detained or living in sanctuary. Quite the background, Lisbeth. Tell me, what inspired you to become an attorney? Well, um, thank you so much for that question. Um, I always wanted to be an attorney since I was a little girl growing up in Oaxaca. I always told my parents I want to become an attorney or a doctor. And that was always the, the you know, the games that I would play with my brother. Um, and my parents, you know, were, um, were very young when they married and had two children and then eventually had my little brother. So we're three. Um, and they never told me, no, you can't do it. They always said, yes, you're going to become an attorney. But we were, we were four. We didn't have any money. My dad was a taxi driver, very hard working man. And my mom was a stay-at-home mom and had a little store where she would set, sell different, you know, different things with a little grocery shop. And um, it was very difficult growing up. We oftentimes didn't have enough money to pay for electricity, pay for, you know, different things. But my parents always encouraged me to go to, to, go to school to do the best so that, that I could. And I was very competitive. So I knew uh, somehow that in some manner I was going to become an attorney someday but then when I turned 14 my family and I um, immigrated to the U.S. and the idea was that I was going to be here for two years in my mind I was only going to be in the U.S. for two years and then eventually I was going to go back and go to law school in Mexico um, it's been 23 years since then um, so you know I 
try to make the best out of it. I continue to have that dream of uh, becoming an attorney. But I think as time, uh, as time passed by and I realized how my undocumented status was going to affect my life and my future, I thought that it was going to be an impossible dream, that it was mm. going to be that dream of becoming an attorney. But I, I, you know, I was very stubborn and I'm still very stubborn. And my parents were also very encouraging. Um, so I was surrounded by people, my family, my, my teachers, my friends who never doubted, I think, that I was going to become an attorney. Um, I started having doubts, very, very serious doubts. But the fact that my family was undocumented, that I was undocumented, that we lived in fear for many years of deportation, um, and I had friends and neighbors and uncles who were deported, mm-hmm. that really gave me that push that I needed to say, no, I'm going to become an attorney. I don't know how that's going to happen. Um, I don't know how many years it's going to take, but I'm going to become an attorney. Um, and it wasn't easy, but it was really that I think it was out of necessity in many ways. They need mm-hmm. to be able to defend and protect my family because I felt like there's no one else who's going to fight for my family the way that I will. Uh, and so I became to some extent obsessed with that idea of becoming an attorney, but it really helped me um, keep pushing forward and, and knocking on doors and, and just um, kind of, showing up at the doorsteps of the colleges and universities that I applied to and say, I'm here. I want to apply to become an attorney. I want to be an attorney. Let's figure out how to work together. And I was very lucky that I found Santa Clara University that was very welcoming and um, supportive. And so I started law school in 2013 without having that um, assurance that I was going to actually be able to practice. And it Mm. wasn't until it was during my first year that the state of California started allowing undocumented people to become licensed attorneys. So I think it was always a dream. And, mm. and um, in many ways, it was encouraged by my family, by my friends and my community and wow. seeing everything that was happening there. Wow. There is so many powerful details that you just shared with us. I, I, I want to highlight a couple, you know, um, I certainly want to highlight the power of community that you that you grad that, that your story shows us. You, you mentioned the people in your community, your friends, your family, they never lost, they never doubted. And then you even talked about even when you doubted, they kept they kept the faith. And I think that's a great lesson for anybody listening out there to to build friendships and connections with people like that, people that don't doubt you, people that believe in your dreams, sometimes even more than you believe in your dreams. I think that's a, that's a great recipe for success to have people who believe in you, um, even when, when sometimes you don't. I think that's such a beautiful lesson that, that your, uh, your community, your, your village, if you will, your village, how much they believed in you, um, even, when, even when at times it was hard for you to. Yeah, I, I mean, it was there were times that I would come home and cry my eyes out and basically tell my mom, that's it. I'm not going to be able to continue paying for school or, you know, I, I, I don't have the resources. And my mom would bring me a plate of food. Always. She would bring me a plate of food or fruit and, and say, eat. You have to eat because um, if you get, if you get sick, 
then it's going to be very, very difficult for us to figure out how to move forward, how to, you know, how, how you can achieve your dream. So you can't get sick, just eat, just take it one day at a time. I think that if I didn't have my mom, it would have been impossible. So my mother was really the force behind me. Uh, and then, yeah, my friends, I almost quit law school my first semester. So I, I was very depressed. It was culture shock. Um, I felt very alone in, in law school and, and I was this close to quitting. And one of my professors encouraged me to just finish the first semester and then go home, spend some time with my family during the holidays and then come back, um, either come back or not, you know? Um, and I did that. I took it one day, at, one day at, a, at a time. And to my surprise, when I arrived um, to Los Angeles, um, somebody contacted me, somebody in the community and said, hey, we want to do this event and raise funds for you to be able to pay for this. Because as an undocumented person, I didn't have access to financial aid or to a lot of uh, uh, um, scholarships out there. So right. a group of strangers came together and raised money for me to go to college. And that's when I realized I have to keep going, not only because it's my dream, but because all of these people believe in me. And yeah. so I don't know how, but I'm going to, I'm just going to keep going. And I came back to law school with a different uh, mentality, you know, all the doubts, all the, uh, all the self-doubt, even though it was still very present, it wasn't as loud. It wasn't as, as strong as the love that the, the people were showing wow. me that my community was surrounding me with, even wow. at a distance. That is, oof, you got, you got, you got me uh, teary eyed over here. You got the <laughs> tears in, um, that's, oh. that is, uh, it's a beautiful thing. I mean, I mean, I'm thinking about those strangers who, um, brought money together for a person like you to be able to use it and, um, and elevate not just yourself, but even what you're doing in the community, what you've done for people. Um, of course, being in the, in the immigration battles over and over again, I just, I just I could just imagine that they're whoever they are, they're out there and they're seeing what you're doing and uh, the impact that their what their money went to was such a worthy cause to see what you're doing now and how you've um, you've proven to be a reliable investment that they made into the people. And anyway, it's just a beautiful thing. Uh, you got you yeah, you, you, you. you you connected with me. I know my my, my eyes. Uh, have the tears in them. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's it's it, it was a beautiful thing, and I still think about it, and I'm still in touch with some of them. Um, so, um, some of them have returned to Mexico, and you know, we're not as in touch, but um, those who are still here in Los Angeles, um, I still see, uh, you know, once in a while, or I talk to them, and um, we become friends. Mm -hmm. Now, what do you enjoy most about being an attorney? Being able to help people, being able to do things that um, sometimes um, seem impossible and may have seemed impossible for many years for for the for my clients, for the family that I talk to, uh, it's kind of a um, it's it's not not that it's difficult. It's ironic sometimes that I'm able to do things for other people that I can't do for myself or for my family. You know, my family and I are still undocumented. There's no pathway for us to become legal permanent residents or citizens. Um, so the fact that I'm able to do things 
for other people in a way it's um is my way of uh i guess honoring my family honoring my community but also revenge isn't the right word but um you know i, I feel like as, as a family as a community we've given so much to this country um and also we have received a lot right but we still are not able to become um legal permanent residents and yeah. so the fact that an undocumented person is able to help and you know walk into immigration offices walk into immigration courts uh in detention centers and then walk out just because i have a bar card um a little piece of plastic that says that i'm an attorney and that i'm able to speak on behalf of my clients and defend my clients and help them achieve the, the dreams that they've had for many years is the most re rewarding thing and um and it makes me get up every day feeling very grateful to to life to god and um and the fact that i'm able to live this life which is not perfect at all and it has its challenges but uh yeah that's what i, I enjoy the most and, and when i tell my clients that i'm undocumented some of them know um but some of them don't and they assume that you know i'm a citizen I, they assume that i was wow. born here and then once we're working on their cases or even at the beginning i tell them I tell them a little bit about myself and my story and they just can't believe it. And um, the way that I am able to connect with them is, um, it's amazing. Wow. Um, there, right. It, 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 there, I imagine the power that's in uh, the power. Um, and even uh, what I'm hearing as well is that the, the irony of, of the, of, of the, the way you help people, um, to, to, to move forward or move ahead. Um, I think that, again, there's, there's something, uh, precious about that unique version of the story where, Hey, um, um, where you were, you were, you can connect with them right where they're at and say, I, I know what it's like, not just from the past. I know what it's like right now, what it's like. And, and I want to help you to get something I don't have or to get something my family doesn't have. I think there's something, there's something special there that I think um, that is very impressive. Yeah, no, it's uh, um, it's my favorite part of, of my job, being able to, you know, hand someone the green card or uh, know that they finally became, you know, citizens or that they have a work permit. Um, it's, uh, yeah, it gives me so much joy and um, and it makes me just want to, continue growing my business, continue connecting with more people, helping more people so that eventually, hopefully one day I'll be able to do that for my family as well. Mm, yes. Tell me what has been one challenge you faced as an attorney that you've overcome? Uh, there's been a lot of challenges, but um, being undocumented and being an attorney, um, requires me to jump so many more hooks that than other attorneys would. Um, for instance, as a as a business owner, um, first of all, I guess I should say this. I, I own my my own practice, but I own my own practice out of necessity. Uh, not being able to to be granted DACA, um, not having a work permit meant that I couldn't work for a law firm or a or a nonprofit. I had, I had job offers when I graduated law school uh, 
about a week after I graduated, the Obama administration sent me a letter essentially saying, we have intent to deny you your DACA work permit. Um, and eight months later, it was finally denied. And I realized I'm not going to be able to be employed by, by anyone. Um, no one wanted to hire me. I did try. And basically, people would say things like, well, we have to think about our, what our liability would be if we hire someone who's undocumented. Sure. So that was very hard. And so I have to thank my friends again and my community and my parents that helped me um, open my own practice. But I opened my own practice without knowing how to run a business, without knowing how to be an attorney. I had never really practiced. You know, I had done a uh-huh. few things here and there, but not full time as an attorney. So I think I focused so much on what uh, being an attorney was and not so much about what it entailed to be a business owner. And I did ask questions. I did ask, you know, colleagues uh, for some guidance, but most of my colleagues were legal permanent residents or citizens. And so even though they faced some similar challenges, my challenge was that some of the companies that I wanted to work with, um, just, you know, service providers, um, case management systems, uh, payment systems, that, that kind of thing, will basically say, no, we can't offer you service because you're undocumented. And what tells us that you're not going to be deported tomorrow? And so some of the challenges that, wow. yes, you have your, your license. Yes, you, you, know, you, you have registered your business. Everything is good. But the owner of the business is undocumented. And so that's what's stopping us from being able to do you know, X, Y, and Z. And so I, I faced a lot of challenges like that uh, as an attorney and as a business owner, just even, you know, being admitted to the bar. Uh, so it's, um, it's been um, a learning experience um, in a, through trial and error. I've been able to overcome a lot of those things. Um, but yeah, I would say that that's probably one of the biggest challenges that I face. Wow. Um, you know, I think there's something about what you've been through um, and, and the challenges you've, you've faced. I, I, you know, I, I think I feel all the more honored um, that you would, uh, you know, sp- spend some time on this interview. Um, but I think there's, uh, I think about the resource that you will be exclusively qualified to provide to other people who face these situations, the situation you're facing as a business owner, as an attorney, I think you're gonna, your story is, is so unique in that regard. You know, I've interviewed a number of immigration attorneys. I've I- interviewed attorneys who, you know, who have been I- immigrants. But I think your, your, your situation is, is quite unique. Um, but I think whenever, whenever I think about uh, uniqueness, I think about it's, it's, it's a story um, that, that very few people have. And when, when very few people have a, a certain story, then it's an opportunity to really inspire a lot of people. I know I'm very inspired. Um, to hear about your perseverance, endurance, resilience, because something I know about those qualities is when anybody has those qualities, it, it it's a it's an evidence of maturity, and um, they don't they, they didn't get to where they they were because it was easy, but they 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 climbed a lot of mountains to get there. So their muscles that they have are are very impressive. So anyway, I'm, again, I'm 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 very inspired. Just so just so you know. Thank you. I really appreciate that. Yeah, I. I... You know, I want to be able to share my experience with others because I know that I'm not the only one who 
completely undocumented who doesn't even have a work permit or, or you know, protection against deportation. Um, there's very, I mean, there's, I think, a couple more. So we're very few. Uh, and everyone else, there are a lot of undocumented attorneys out there. So most of them have DACA. So their experiences are a little bit different. Right. Um, but yeah, my experience is unique in that. Not only am I completely undocumented, but I also happen to be in removal proceedings and have been in removal proceedings for the last 10 years, which is kind of ironic because some of my clients have to go to court um, at the same, you know, in the same courtroom that I have to go to court with my own attorney. So it's, um, yeah, it, it's been, it's been a, quite the, the ride. Um, but um, I have nothing but, um, you know, love for, for my community and for and just feelings of being just grateful for the journey and for the life that I get to live despite all the challenges. Sure. Wow. Um, I, I, well, uh, let me tell you this. I'm, I'm looking forward to reading your book or watching your movie one day. <laughs> um, you know, I know uh, you mentioned, um, uh, I think before the recording, you were talking about the, your story, you know, being like a telenovela. And I think there, there is, um, there is a, there's a lot of inspiration and power that I'm feeling immediately uh, from, from your journey. Thank you so much. I really appreciate that. Um, talk to me, talk to me about your, your law firm, um, and, and specifically what has been the best way to attract new clients? Every new law firm owner like has that question in their mind. How do I get new clients? How do I keep them coming in? What has worked best for you and, and your law firm? Um, I think when I started, I kind of left it all to word of mouth. I had been an organizer for a long time. And so I knew a lot of people in the community and that really worked. You know, a lot of people started referring me clients, referring me people from different places. Um, so that was, that's a good tool, just knowing and connecting with community um, and, and trying to be as present in, in, in the community you know, as possible. The, the pandemic makes it a little bit difficult. So I've also relied a lot on social media. So a lot of our clients come from social media. Instagram, most, yeah, most of them come from Instagram. And then recently TikTok. I'm not very good at it and I don't dance <laughs> in, in TikTok. <laughs> but, um, you know, it, it's incredible the way that social media works. Sometimes you put out something and you don't think that it's going to go viral or that it's going to, you know, reach so many people. And all of a sudden we have our phones, you know, blowing up because we have so many calls from all over the country um, uh, from people wanting appointments and wanting to talk to me and wanting to, uh, for me to review their cases because they've connected with something that I posted on social media. Mm. So yeah, I think the tool that we're using so much right now is social media. Wow. Um, no, that's, it's, 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 it's so powerful. Even I, I, you answered one of the questions I was going to ask as a follow-up because uh, I know uh, new attorneys are, some of them are asking that question, wh which platform do I use? And then, and, and I've asked that question to a number of attorneys and a number of law firm owners, and it kind of even depends the kind of law, the, the location, the place, but to hear that you've got a lot from um, um, Instagram and TikTok, um, that's very helpful. And uh, even for to see that it's it's brought in a number of phone calls um, from your from your content on those platforms. 
Yeah, no, absolutely. I mean, there were a couple of months earlier this year that we were just, I just felt like I needed a break and we were working, I was working like 16 hours, 17 hours a day because we, we just had so much uh, uh, interest from people in, um, and I wanted to keep up with all of that. I'm not very good at it, but, um, you know, like I said, once in a while, I do put up something and it, it reaches a good number of people and then we get some business. So I'm happy. Oh, good, good, good. Now, when you think back to starting your career as an attorney, um, what, what advice do you offer to other people who are just starting their career uh, as an attorney? Don't be afraid to ask questions. Don't be afraid to reach out to people and to find a mentor. Um, you'll be surprised. I think there's so many attorneys out there who are willing to mentor you, who are willing to um, you know, answer your questions and to even just take a phone call when you're feeling like you don't know what you're doing. I've had my moments of panic. I've had my moments even now, um, you know, even recently when I feel like I don't know what I'm doing. I am so, you know, uh, confused. And I call my, my colleagues and I, and I kind of explain the situation and they walk me through, you know, just uh, some of the processes or just kind of make me feel like, no, it's okay. You don't have to feel scared. You don't have to, you know, you haven't screwed up. You can fix this. Uh, but as new attorneys, I think, because this happened to me, sometimes we're afraid of asking questions or we feel like we're asking too many questions or that we're asking questions that may be too basic. And therefore, um, other attorneys are going to feel like we're not prepared, that we haven't done a research or that, you know, we're just, um, yeah, that we're, we're not very smart. Um, but even the most experienced attorneys sometimes have basic questions because they haven't dealt with the types of cases that um, you're dealing with. And you, you get to a moment where you, you know the answer to something and it's so exciting. So mm -hmm. yeah, don't be afraid to ask questions. Don't be afraid to reach out to people. Um, the worst thing that will happen is that they're going to say, no, I don't have time to talk to you. And you know, that's okay, move on. Go to the next person um, and then find a group of people that you can connect with and really talk about um, career, life, whatever. Um, I happen to have a, a group of friends um, who are also immigration attorneys, um, all female or Latinas, and we talk every single day. Sometimes uh. not to exchange ideas about cases, just to complain about something, just to complain about how slow the immigration system is, how, mm. you know... Um, you know, how uh, immigration uh, treated our clients or, mm -hmm. you know, things like that. Uh, and it, it, it's great to have that support system. So find, yes. find that support system. Oh, two solid pieces of advice for all the new attorneys out there. Number one, don't be afraid to ask questions. Ask, ask, ask. There's a, one of my, you reminded me of one of, one of my, my favorite quotes about it. It's, it's better to, um, look stupid for a minute, then to stay stupid for a lifetime if you don't ask the question. And um, yeah. and just being okay, putting the ego aside, ask the questions, get perspective, and you'll never know what you're missing until you ask the questions and, and discover some of that treasure on the inside of somebody's mind just because you provoked um, them by asking those questions. 
And then you said support system. You said, you know, you, you have your people who can absolutely relate to what you're going through. People you could talk to about the challenges, issues in immigration, what happened with clients or, you know, um, and talking, just talking about, you know, some of the stresses that come that are involved so that you're not walking uh, the journey alone. And I think those yeah. are two great pieces of advice. Ask questions and build a great support system. Absolutely. So similar question, maybe a little bit different is when you, when you, when you think about attorneys who are thinking about starting their own law firm, what advice do you have for them? Or what advice do you offer them who are just thinking about starting their own law firm? Uh, do your research, you know, talk to people, connect with someone um, who's a, if you're trying to start a solo uh, practice, you know, connect with someone who's a solo practitioner, ask them a lot of questions about the mistakes that they made, um, the things that they could have changed if, uh, or that they, they would change if they could, you know, because we all make mistakes. And before you start something, make sure that everything is, you know, uh, is set, that you have your license, that you have a plan on how to attract clients, that you have a plan on, you know, uh, how you're going to handle um, certain types of cases or certain situations. And you may not know that until you start talking to, to other colleagues who have had that experience. Uh, and um, don't say yes to everything. Mm. I wish I knew that when I started. Don't say yes to every case that comes through the door. Mm. It is very difficult when you're starting because you just want clients. You know, mm. you, you need money. You want to make money um, because you don't have any other source of income, right? Mm -hmm. uh, but it's important to know when, when you can handle a case. And if there's a case that you're not too sure about, um, don't say yes just because you, you think I'm going to be losing out on, you know, this, this money. Uh, refer it to someone that you trust. Or before you say yes, talk to a colleague and, and ask that colleague if they will co-counsel with you. Don't leave it to chance. Don't say, well, I'll take this case and I'll figure out who's going to help me because I think that's a mistake that sometimes we make. And I, I know I've made that mistake. So don't, um, don't do that. Don't be afraid to say no. Um, and, and yeah, same thing, as I said before, you know, ask a lot of questions, but, in, but in, when it comes to opening your own practice, your questions have to be focused on how to run a business because it's a, it's a whole different set of challenges um, when you're trying to, when you're a new attorney and you start your own business, you're learning two different things um, at the same time. And one of them is going to pull you more than the other. I know that for me, I wanted to learn to be a better attorney every single day and then kind of forgot that I also was a business owner and I needed to um, focus on that part as well. So it's, it's very challenging, but it can be done if you have the right, um, the right tools and if you have the right people that you can ask and that can guide you. Mm, yes. Uh, so much great insight there. Um, do, do your research, um, actively look into not just running a, um, not just being an attorney, but, but, but to look into how to build a, um, a business. And you also offer the insight of, um, don't say yes to everything, especially every case. And you mentioned the temptation. It's so easy to yeah. just want to say yes to everything because you just want clients, but it can cost a lot more time, energy, effort, 
than sometimes what the, the payoff actually is. Um, but yeah, anyway, uh, great advice and insight um, for all those considering um, owning their own law firm. Yeah, and if I may add one thing, which is something that I uh, just came to mind, actually. Um, also know what you work in the type of work that you're doing is worth. Because one of the... Um, one of the things that we do sometimes when we start uh, practicing as new attorneys that I've heard this from many colleagues is that we, um, we don't know the value of our work. And so we tend to compromise ahead of time, you know, not with our clients, but with ourselves and charge a lot less than what, um, what the work is actually worth. So know wow. your work. You may not know that in the beginning, it may, it may seem a little bit like, why am I going to charge as much if I don't have the, uh, the experience? But sure. if you're willing to put in the work and actually do, you know, do a good job, then you can charge what, is, what the fair price is. And you won't know that until you start talking to other, other colleagues and figuring out, okay, how much time is this case really going to take for me to handle? And then based on that, you can calculate how, how much money will cost. To your wow. Company. Yes. Uh, that's, that's phenomenal. I, I, one of my mentors, uh, she's been an attorney for 40 years and she shared with me that's what you just said, that one of the biggest mistakes new attorneys make is not charging enough. This uh, new, new attorneys so easily charge below the actual value of the service they're delivering. And it just echoes what you're saying right, right now is, and it and even, you know, I appreciate you highlighting it as well, because especially if, and I get to relate to this coming from a more humble background, you know, from a, from a family and household that didn't have a lot of money, you know, um, it's mentally, it's sometimes difficult to fathom what I'm going to charge this client or these people to pay me when I'm thinking back to when I was a kid, my mom could never afford, you know, this amount of money, but but uh, it's some, and in sales, I remember they, they talk about this idea of not selling from your own pockets and understanding that um, they're not me when I was five years old in my household where, you know, we had to share pretty much everything. Um, yeah. Anyway, but I think it's a great, it's a great insight. Yeah, um, I've learned that the hard way. Mm-hmm. Now, um, what is what has helped you establish work-life balance as an attorney? Uh, you know, first of all, I think work-life balance uh, is very looks very different for for everyone. Um, I have colleagues who say I only work, you know, eight hours each day, or I only work six hours. I mean, some of them do. Uh, I work a lot of hours. I I when I'm in the office, it's it's work, and I tend to work. Um, very long hours during the week. And I think I have, I come from this mentality of if I'm not doing something productive, I'm wasting my time. And so I've always been like that since I was a little girl. But what has helped and, and a little bit, I think, have to credit the pandemic is that it has made me be more present in my life uh, or with my family and um, with those who are closer to me. So what I do now is if I'm in the office, I'm going to be present in my office. I'm going to do my work. But when I go home, I don't do more work. I'm going to be with my family. 
whether I go home at five o'clock or whether I go home at seven or, you know, whenever I go home. Uh, and then on, on weekends, I'm not going to answer calls. I'm not going to uh, work. I'm just going to be home. I'm just going to be with my family. And mm -hmm. so that's the sort of balance that I've been able to find because when I started my business, I was working, you know, every waking hour. I would go home and I would still be working until, you know, 11, 12 uh, midnight. And then I will wake up and then go to the office and every day was the same. And on Saturdays and on Sundays, um, I will be working. And sometimes I will even go um, to the office on the weekends. And I don't, I tend to not do that anymore. I sometimes I work from Saturdays if I have a lot of work, but I know that once I get home, I'm not opening my laptop. I'm not answering emails. I'm not doing any work because my home is where I go to relax and where I go to be with my family. Um, but that's what the life work balance looks for me. And it may look very different for, for other people. I mean, some of my colleagues have children. And so for them, it's very different. Yeah. Um, but that's what has worked for me. Uh, and that's why I love being my, my own boss as well, because I do have the freedom to say, okay, well, on this day, I'm going to work from home. Or on this day, I'm going to have just a, a half day at the office. And then I'm going to, you know, go visit this friend or go be with my with my nephew um mm -hmm. yeah yes um no I, I appreciate that i appreciate you sharing authentically too about how it was in the beginning um and then um even your the tendency you know to be effective and to be efficient and so you know maximize time i know i, I can relate to that where um I, I i often want all of my time used productively and you know get the most i can out of life um but no th thank you for the, for the insight I do want to ask you one final question before we wrap up the episode, which is what are your favorite qualities of your favorite people? Um, that they are fun, that they can have fun and they're loyal, authentic. Um, I, I'm thinking of my nephews. <laughs> they're mm -hmm. three and a half and uh, one year old. But they're the kind of uh, babies that can, you know, make you smile because they smile a lot because they are happy. Um, and, um, you know, I think of my parents and my parents are very caring, very welcoming and uh, very honest and very loyal. And so I think those are the qualities that I, that I most admire in people, the loyalty to your to those that you love and in, in the um, to your family and and then just not being judgmental. That's yes. another thing that I love about my, my my parents too. They grew up in a small town, you know, with very different ideas, but um, they've always been very open minded. Um, and that's another quality I admire. That you may not know something, you may not be familiar with with uh, you know someone. Um, culture or life but you're still willing to learn yes oh i love and those yes, qualities yes those are phenomenal qualities everything from fun to welcoming to non-judgmental willing to learn about the other person for all of our podcast listeners those are great qualities for you to embrace and, and if you embrace them you um you would be embracing qualities that Bet considers to be among her favorites so uh, I always like highlighting those qualities for you all to understand what helps people to move forward in life. Those qualities will help you. 
Lisbeth, I want to say thank you so much for spending some time with me today on the podcast. Thank you so much. This was a lot of fun. I was, I was um, really glad I said yes. Thank you so much oh, for reaching yes. out to me. And um, I'm glad we were able to have this chat. Oh, perfect. I'm glad. For our listeners, this episode is sponsored by Strong Life Scholars, whose mission is advancing Latinas in high-end professions, education, and community impact. Thank you again for, for listening to this episode. Be sure to go over to the Apple Podcast app and give us the five-star review. Remember to subscribe and we'll connect with you on the next episode. Thank you. Thank you.